It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I have a moral dilemma. I am holding in my hand a sizable bag of Milky Way bars. See that? And they're left over from Halloween. And I only had two last night. I haven't had a Milky Way bar in, you know, decades. And I'm thinking, okay, well, could I limit myself to two a day? And then that would get me through about a month. I mean, there's a lot of Milky Way in here. Um, and I'm just not sure if I have the willpower to do this. They're so good. But interesting is the reason there are several bags of candy left over here is about four small groups of kids came to the door and that was it. And I think there were several reasons for this. One undoubtedly is the fact that there was a light rain up until around six o'clock, which is usually when the younger kids start coming. Uh, it, was still, it was still damp out, but it wasn't raining. I think that kind of dampened the mood, so to speak. I think there's still some reluctance to go door-to-door because of COVID. Uh, there were f- baseless fentanyl rumors. And I just think, you know, maybe parents being a little more cautious. Um, don't know if it would have been different if it hadn't rained in the Washington area. Uh, don't know if this is true around the country. Maybe lots of people got lots of kids. But it did leave a surplus of very delicious candy. All right. Uh, I got up early today, so you didn't have to, to watch CNN's new morning show, New Day. And there's no question that the chief anchor is Don Lemon. He greets the audience And then he introduces the co-anchors, who are Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. Um, This show was really peppy. Uh, Much of the whole first hour was spent, oh, we're having such a good time. Yeah, I'm a little sleepy. We love each other. Just yucking it up. And, you know, know, Chris Licht, who was the new chairman of CNN, launched or helped launch Morning Joe back in the day. And he knows something about morning shows. And they're trying to establish these three as really good friends and lovable characters with blackboards behind them and a lot of laughing. Uh, You know, and Don Lemon was wearing sort of a suit jacket and a white, essentially a T-shirt underneath. And, you know, he has a certain level of charisma. uh, But, you know, he didn't just undergo a makeover for this morning show after years in primetime. It was more like a reprogramming. I mean, at one point he said, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Well, you could have fooled me during the last six years when he was constantly slamming Donald Trump and the Republicans and certainly the MAGA Republicans and totally in support of Democrats. Uh, so for him to say that requires a kind of a collective amnesia of the role that he played in prime time. And he's talking about we need more civility. And he was careful in some of these interviews to um, not be totally in the tank. Um, but, you know, they did a tale, a song on, a uh, segment, excuse me, on Taylor Swift. I guess she's got the top 10 songs 
on the Billboard charts from her new, I still call them albums, her new product. Um, then Sanjay Gupta came on to say, you know, people are afraid of change, and here's why. But it was really about being afraid of change in their morning show, which is kind of self-serving. Um, by the second hour, they had to deal with a lot more serious news. Uh, and it became more of a conventional CNN news hour. Uh, in that hour, only Democrats appeared, which probably is what the CNN audience is accustomed to. In the second hour, they did have one Republican New Hampshire governor, Chris Sununu, uh, come on. But otherwise, it was Elise Stefanik, uh, who has a tough race in Michigan, who's been endorsed by Liz Cheney. Uh, there was Mandela Barnes, who sat for an interview with one of the CNN correspondents. Uh, and Don Lemon interviewed John Fetterman and essentially gave him a do-over on that awful moment in the debate where he said, I, I, I don't know, I stand, I support fracking. Um, and Fetterman was much better, as he has been in these closed-caption interviews where he can respond to one question at a time. And he said, look, I, I, the reason I uh, had concerns early on was because of environmental worries, but I, those have been met. And they, they, that's, you know, Lemon counted that a little bit. Uh, but at least it was a coherent answer. And then he says he supports fracking. But by the way, Dr. Oz did the same thing, only did it a lot more smoothly. Um, so the only problem I had was that once it became a more conventional news hour with reports from correspondents and so forth, leaving aside the almost all democratic nature of it, um, it lacked a certain urgency. You know, it's a problem that CNN's always had, you know, was sort of, straight news with, you know, some lots of laughter in between. And sometimes that was a hard transition to make. And then special guest Brian Gumbel comes out, big friend of Lemons, and they chat about civility. Um, and so with the opinion part of it sort of sanded down, it you know, it sort of lacked a clash of ideas. I mean, I, maybe... The folks at CNN know more about creating a successful morning show than I do, but we shall see. All right, another big TV moment this morning was on Good Morning America, where correspondent Juju Chang interviewed on camera the second Herschel Walker accuser. She's still using the name Jane Doe, but she knows, everybody knows, that once she shows a face on camera, it's not difficult. I'm sure, for people to figure out who she is. But I must say, I think she was very credible in this interview. She's a middle-aged white woman who talked about her years-long uh, extramarital affair in that Herschel Walker was married to his first wife at the time with the former football star. Uh, and she said he was very clear that he did not want me to have the child. And he said that, uh, because of his wife's family and powerful people around him, that I would not be safe and that the child would not be safe. And Juju Chang said, that's very menacing. And, and Jane Doe said, it is very menacing. It is very menacing. And I felt threatened. And I thought I had no choice. She told a story about going the first day. She couldn't go through with it. She left in tears. He then came to her house, paid in cash so there's no receipt, drove her to the clinic, waited outside. Um, 
And then well, she really got kind of choked up and she said, I told my parents I had a miscarriage because I couldn't tell them the truth. Yeah, and I told a few friends the same thing because I couldn't tell them the truth. CNN didn't interview one friend who she did love her with about the pregnancy. Juju Chang, why in your mind did you feel you couldn't tell them the truth? Jane Doe, it was just very shameful. And I felt like I had been manipulated. And remember, this is a woman who... Uh, says she voted for Donald Trump in the last two elections. But when she saw Herschel Walker deny uh, anything involving the first woman, she felt that she had to come forward. And by the way, she played a voicemail uh, from Herschel Walker. She showed the handwritten love notes. Um, There's a fair amount of evidence here. So now that we can see her face, I think reporters, if they have a chance, will inevitably ask, um, well, do you recognize her? What about the voicemail? She had a picture of him sleeping in a hotel room. What about this? What about that? You know, he can't say he has no idea who she is. He can't say that. Now, it may well be that, you know, it's going to be the same. You know, Herschel Walker may win this race in Georgia. It, you know, the polls are showing almost a dead heat. He seems to have written up a whole lot of bad coverage. Um, and people, again, may say, or particularly Republicans, and of course it all depends on who turns out. Uh, I don't care. It was a long time ago. I care about the future. He's still pro-life, although he's soft in his position. Or I just want the Republicans to gain control of the Senate. We shall see. I have so much good stuff for this podcast today. This is just sort of a a warning. I, I, I've had to throw a bunch of stuff out that I would love to do today, and maybe I can get to tomorrow, but I just can't get to it all. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Story number one, dramatic shift in what we know about the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. And I've been very careful not to go on the air or even on this podcast or anything I write with anything that's not confirmed. So there was a lot of chatter about, well, this guy, David DePape, who was charged with two federal offenses yesterday, I'll get to that in a second, uh, was an illegal alien. And I didn't touch that. But Fox News correspondent Bill Malugan, who covers the border, says, according to a source at ICE, David DePape, DePape excuse me, um, is currently in the U.S. illegally as a longtime visa overstay. Now, he was born in Canada, so it doesn't sound as threatening, oh, you know, a visa overstay from Canada, but it's still against American law. Now, I want to review some of what was said by Republicans and conservatives about the vicious and brutal attack on 82-year-old Paul Pelosi, who, by the way, remains in the emergency room recovering from surgery for a fractured skull. Clay Higgins is a Republican House member from Louisiana. He tweeted this. After the assault, Uh, um, apparently, this is a guy who sits on the Homeland Security Committee, apparently doctored image of the House Speaker with one eye looking bruised and the caption, 
The moment you realize the nudist, hippie, male, prostitute, LSD guy was the reason your husband didn't make it to your fundraiser. Now, the nudist, hippie thing, he apparently was, I guess there were pictures of him at some nudist protest, which seems to have been an involvement of his girlfriend. LSD guy, I don't know if he took LSD, but he certainly was described by acquaintances as having a drug abuse problem. The male prostitute part is complete bull. It's complete crap. As, the, the, you know, the San Francisco authorities have come out and said now, in a charging document and in a press conference, these two men did not know each other. So the whole gay sex thing is complete crap. And Elon Musk, we'll get to, you know, who now is the sole owner of Twitter, also said, yeah, tiny possibility, but posted a link to this same garbage. Now, Congressman Higgins later deleted the tweet, but he hasn't addressed it. Okay. Another example is Donald Trump Jr., who uh, posted something making fun of, along the same lines, this, quote, relationship between these two men. And has since deleted it. Larry Elder. He was the leading Republican candidate in that Gavin Newsom recall. And if he had gotten more votes, he'd be the governor of California now. He wrote, poor Paul Pelosi. First he's busted for DUI and then gets attacked in his home. Hammered twice in six months. Now he did ask, too soon? Yeah. Actually, Not only too soon, but completely unfair. Hammered, hammered. I I find this stuff to be sick. The man had his skull fractured. And injuries to his arm and hand. Nancy Pelosi says it's going to be a long recovery process. You know, people saying, oh, well, you know, he went to the hospital and he didn't die. And, you know, we can now move on. So... There have already been state charges filed, and there'll be a hearing today where we may learn more. Uh, attempted homicide, among other things. Now, federal authorities have come in and gotten into the action by charging him with one with attempted kidnapping. That is the attempted kidnapping of Nancy Pelosi. And two, attempting to ad- intimidate a federal official's close relative and confirm that not only was to pape carrying zip ties. He also had a rope, rubber gloves, and a second hammer. So there was this talk about them wrestling for the hammer, and obviously the pape got it and used it to violently assault Paul Pelosi, but it probably was the pape's hammer not taking you away, but who knows? The key thing here is the confession. According to these court filing, the DOJ filing, David DePape told the police his plan was to hold Nancy hostage and talk to her. And quote, if Nancy were to tell the truth, he would let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. So she would have to be wheeled into Congress, showing the consequences of lying, I guess. I mean, he, he, this, Guy has such deep mental problems that he compared himself to the founding fathers. Yeah, he's rising up against tyranny. So, it's just um, 
unbelievable. So now these people are deleting the tweets. But how about an apology? How about I regret? How about, you know, it was in poor taste? Nothing. They just delete and move on. And it was Musk who tweeted this uh, link to the Santa Monica Weekly paper that, for example, in 2016, according to the LA Times, reported that Hillary Clinton had died and been replaced by a body double for a debate with Trump. This is just so way beneath Elon Musk, uh, who also deleted. And then you get into, you know, saying, oh, this guy is just a right winger. Uh, so that's what the left is doing. I talked about a little bit yesterday. I mean, he was just all over the place. Anti-Jewish, anti-black, anti-media, anti-vaccine, anti-climate change, kind of a mashup. Not everything was right wing. Also posted stolen election propaganda from Mike Lindell and suicidal thoughts and grisly images of death. Who cares what his ideological views are? Um, And so, you know, I think it's fair for Republicans to say, well, you know, just because we've been going around saying fire Pelosi or take back the House or beating up on Nancy for political views, it's not fair to tie that to violence. And some Democrats have been doing that. And a whole lot of people, and I've just given you a few examples. Oh, what Donald Trump Jr. did was to retweet a picture of a Paul Pelosi Hollywood costume uh, depicting a pair of underwear, I don't know where that rumor came from, and a hammer. And his caption was, the internet remains undefeated. Also, if you switch out the hammer for a red feather boa, you could be Hunter Biden in an instant. All this stuff now deleted. Uh, Meanwhile, speaking of Donald Trump, he blasted Fox News yesterday because Marie Harf, Fox News contributor, who is a well-known liberal who worked as an Obama administration spokeswoman and also worked for a Democratic presidential candidate in 20. So Marie Harf says on Harris Faulkner's show that Joe Biden beat Trump pretty handily and if Donald Trump runs again, I believe Joe Biden can win again. Not a crazy position for a liberal to take. Uh, Trump said, Fox News treats Trump every bit as badly as it did in 2015, before I later won the election. Fox was brutal then and not too good now. This lightweight failure in the Obama administration, Marie Harf, is allowed to say anything she wants without rebuttal. And others likewise. I beat crooked Hillary and then beat Biden by much more. Fox is afraid to say what really happened in that farce of an election. It was rigged and stolen. Okay, Fox is not afraid to say that. What Fox says is the election wasn't rigged and stolen. It's not afraid. It's dealing with the facts. And when he says without rebuttal, you know, I don't think anybody has argued that there's a shortage of conservative opinion on Fox News. So he goes off on Marie Harf and Fox is afraid and all right. I think I've made the point. Number two, control of the Senate rests on a knife's edge. According to new polls by the New York Times and Siena College, Republican challengers in Nevada 
and Georgia, neck and neck with Democratic incumbents. Georgia being the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock state. And the Democratic candidate in Pennsylvania clinging to what appears to be a tenuous advantage. We'll get to that. Bright spot for Dems is that in Arizona, Senator Mark Kelly has a small but steady lead over Blake Masters. Although a libertarian candidate just dropped out and endorsed Masters, that could change the situation. The results indicate a deeply volatile and unpredictable Senate contest. Um, So, four Senate races looked at in these polls. Mark Kelly is a six-point lead over Blake Masters, or had. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and challenger Adam Laxalt, son of Paul Laxalt, or grandson, I guess. I think I screwed that up the other day. Tied at 47. Warnock has a tiny lead, 49 to 46. And the Pennsylvania poll um, was largely conducted before the disastrous debate for Fetterman. And by the way, I meant to mention uh, in the New Day section that Don Lemon interviewed Fetterman. I may have mentioned it. It's been a long morning. Uh, and, you know, was I would say it was a very sympathetic interview. Um, so Fetterman still maintained a slight lead over Oz, but on the day of Wednesday, right after it happened. I'm sure that has changed now, as this has sunk in. Um, I'm not outright predicting Oz will win the race, just as Democrats may ignore Fetterman's obvious communications challenges right now as a recovering stroke victim because they want to win the seat. Uh, But here's how I know that the media, you know, they may be saying, uh, send us a toss-up, but everybody can see that it's moving in the Republicans' direction. I mean, there's what, eight days to go? No, today's Tuesday, one week to go. And it seems like the election is breaking for the Republicans. And it seems likely to me, and predictions can always be wrong because in in midterms, it's all about who turns out, um, that Mitch McConnell may get not just one extra seat, but two or three. So... The reason you know the media come to groups with this is that nobody's even arguing about the House now. New York Times had a lead story saying, here's what will happen to Biden's agenda if, meaning when, the Republicans take over the House. And yeah, it will stall and he'll be playing defense. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Cottonetti, National Review, says, you know, as if this is a done deal, that there will be all these Republican investigations. Remember, you only need to control one House. To have a lot of investigations, you have you control the chairmanships, you have subpoena power, and Continental reviews how this has been true for every president. Uh, Ronald Reagan on you know the Iran Contra deal, Bill Clinton for various reasons, George W. Bush on Iraq, uh, Barack Obama fast and furious, um, and so and Hunter Biden's laptop. I think that will get a lot of congressional scrutiny and then points out, you know, uh, there was an article in the New York Times, U.S. officials had a secret oil deal with the Saudis, or so they thought. Um, It fell apart on the question of, you know, oil production. 
and that'll get looked at. The job of president has been hard for Joe Biden. It's about to get a lot worse, says Cottonetti. Number three, Supreme Court justices hearing yesterday uh, arguments on basically tossing out decades of precedent. I used to cover this stuff when I covered DOJ and related matters. Allowing race-conscious administration decisions at colleges and universities. Uh, by, and you could see the conservative majority justices were expressing doubt that institutions would ever concede an endpoint in their use of race. You know, it's one factor. But this conservative majority, as we know from Roe v. Wade, has not really been hesitant to throw out precedent. And five hours of oral argument, uh, the programs at issue in this particular case, Harvard, University of North Carolina, seemed in doubt. What would it mean for other institutions of a higher education? You can kind of do this in colleges because colleges get federal money. Uh, you can't necessarily do this to private companies. And so private companies, which I think have come around to the view that affirmative action is good business, have a more diverse workforce, may still continue to do their thing. Um, the administration's solicitor general said these decisions would have profound consequences for the nation that we are, uh, educating a diverse group of national leaders benefited the military, medical and scientific communities, and corporate America, she says. But the New York Times points out, here's some of what uh, the pushback. Clarence Thomas. I've heard the word diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means. It seems to mean everything for everyone. Sam Alito, who was the principal author of striking down Roe v. Wade. Talking about unrepresented, underrepresented minority. What does that mean, he said? College admissions are a zero-sum game in which granting advantages to one group necessarily disadvantages others. That is true. That's why there's been a debate about this in this country for so long. On the other side, the newest justice, Katanji Brown-Jackson, said it would be odd if admissions officers would, could consider factors like whether applicants are parents, veterans or disabled, but not if they're members of racial minorities. That has, quote, the potential of causing more of an equal protection problem than it's actually solving. In other words, you can, uh, you can consider these other factors, and that's not considered unconstitutional, but if you're a member of a racial minority, not so much. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Okay, number four, which is about Elon. Fascinating exchange on the Twitter today. Stephen King, the world-famous novelist, reacting to, I mean, Musk has basically confirmed it now, that he's considering uh, charging people who are the blue checks, meaning you're it's considered a verified account, something like $20 a month to keep that status. I was asked about this on Guy Benson's radio show the other day, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I thought it was $20 a year. I said, that eh, might be worth it, because supposedly you get other benefits, access to stuff that other people don't have, and you got to consider whether it's a trade-off. Well, you know, Twitter, as much as I have a love-hate relationship with it, is a big part of my ability to promote, not myself, but the podcast <laughs> at Media Buzz and, other, and my columns uh, online. Okay, so Stephen King writes, $20 a month to keep my blue check? F that. 
They should pay me. If that gets instituted, I'm gone like Enron. Well, there is a counter-argument that, yeah, you should pay these creators, the most active and the biggest followings. Uh, Musk responds, we need to pay the bills somehow. Twitter cannot rely entirely on advertisers. How about $8? So they're negotiating the price on the platform. Okay. Now, Twitter uh, suspended the personal Twitter account of the Republican nominee, Mark Fincham, for Secretary of State in Arizona. Uh, And so he posted this, I guess, on Facebook. They are trying to put their thumb on the scales of the election. Tag Elon Musk and tell him to unban me right now. I am the Secretary of State nominee in a swing state running against the criminal Soros-funded candidate. Okay, that's his rhetoric. I haven't looked into it. He may have gotten money from Soros. I don't know. He's a criminal. Links to his fundraising page. They won't say what I did wrong. Elon, this is not free speech. Musk replied to former Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis, who had commented on the suspension, saying, looking into it, two hours later, Miraculously, mysteriously, Finchon's account was restored. It's not clear that Musk had played any role in this, but this is exactly the problem that was predicted for Elon Musk. When you're the sole guy, you know, nobody would expect the former CEO of Twitter to know the details of everybody who got banned, suspended, whatever. You you assume the people he's appointed know. Uh, But... Elon's the guy. He's dissolved the board of directors. He says that's temporary. Um, So now everybody can complain directly to him. But does he really want to be the arbiter of every complaint now? How in the world does he have time to do that and transform Twitter, try to make a few bucks, and uh, also run Tesla and SpaceX and the boring company? Okay. As the Washington Post reports, um, members of... Musk's inner circle, a bunch of them are named, people he's worked with for years, spent the weekend having detailed discussions about content moderation, spam, meaning bots, and plans to lay off 25% of the workforce to start. Remember, he had told investors, uh, Musk had, that uh, he would lay off as much as 75%. Uh, So the staff is about 7,000. You're planning to begin by laying off roughly a quarter. Well, look, did you not think that, I mean, anybody who buys a company and now it's got a lot of debt looks to save money. Layoffs will touch almost all departments. Expected to impact specifically sales, product engineering, legal, and trust and safety. Uh, Also, the four executives got fired. I mentioned, you know, get a huge, huge payout. Uh, Musk now says Twitter's board deliberately hid evidence from the court. So he's settling some scores there. Now, here's the really fascinating part. One of Musk's uh, longtime allies is a guy named Yoel Roth, or Yoel Roth. And he has a whole thread about their view of how they're going to deal on Twitter. Let's talk for a minute, says Roth, about slurs, hateful content, and trolling campaigns. Bottom line up front, Twitter's policies haven't changed. Hateful conduct has no place here, and we're taking steps to put a stop to an organized effort to make people think we have. Our rules prohibit hateful conduct. 
This includes targeting people with dehumanizing content and slurs. That sounds a lot like the old Twitter, huh? This doesn't mean we have a list of words that are banned. Context matters. Over the last 48 hours, says Roth, we've seen a small number of accounts post a ton of tweets that include slurs and other derogatory terms. Talking here about the N-word and other stuff. To give you a sense of scale, more than 50,000 tweets repeatedly using a particular slur, which I just referenced, came from just 300 accounts. Nearly all of these accounts are inauthentic. We've taken action to ban the users involved in this trolling campaign and are going to continue working to address this in the days to come to make Twitter safe and welcoming for everyone. Now, a lot of commenters in this thread said, BS, you haven't really done this, or, you know, it's kind of like meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, But on the other hand, this was the clash with reality that Elon Musk was always going to have. He has to police it to some extent. He has to have a content moderation council to some extent. Otherwise, who's going to want to be in an environment where racial slurs and hate speech run rampant? We'll turn off users. I mean, leave aside whether he's going to charge for blue checks or not. I don't really care. That's a detail. People pay it or they'll not pay it. He should incentivize content creators, the most active ones. Let them generate content and and make some money at it. So that is interesting because, you know, to their credit, here's Yoel Roth saying, here's what we're doing, and it hasn't changed. That's going to be disappointing for some who are like, oh, free speech, okay. But you own a platform like Twitter, even free speech has its limits. Okay, number five. Now, remember the New York Post firing the rogue employee who posted all this totally offensive and sexist posts on the website, and originally they thought it was a hacker. Well, he's now been identified as Miguel Gonzalez. His LinkedIn page has been updated to say he's looking for new job opportunities, no longer works for the Post. Now, according to the Daily Beast, which broke the story, Gonzalez, in an interview described his digital vandalism as an emotional tantrum and that as a guy who's worked there for three years, he has total access to the Post's content management system. Quote, I let my own stupidity get the best of me, Gonzalez said. And he said it was a reaction to troubles in his personal life. He's acknowledged that he deserved to get fired for this very volatile irresponsible and disgusting action and an utmost betrayal of the New York Post. So he's feeling a lot of remorse, or says he does, and not even disputing the fact that it was a firing offense. He hopes to stay in journalism. Uh, good luck with that. But he, And he's applied for jobs at some um, media outlets, but he admits that he's likely to be blacklisted everywhere. What I did was horrible, Says Miguel Gonzalez, it was my mistake, and I owe a lot of people apologies. Well, I mean, take it at face value, good for him for apologizing, but what he did was absolutely reprehensible, made the New York Post look horrible. Remember, it was it also the whole point was to make it look like conservatives, like Ben Shapiro, for example, uh, were saying things like assassinate AOC, 
or Joe and Hunter Biden. I mean, just absolutely the most violent, despicable stuff you could possibly manage, imagine. And it came from within the house, the guy who worked there. Well, as I said, I'm a little out of breath because I've had so much stuff to get to. I'll bring forward uh, some of the material I had to hold for tomorrow's podcast. Uh, we're down to brass tacks last week before the midterms. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Hope you'll subscribe. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMe. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.